What is going on, OWS fam, DFS fam, YouTube fam, podcast fam? Welcome to another edition of the DFS Lab DraftKings Week 4. Very interesting week. Uh, today, Keegan and I are going to be opening up the Bink Machine Optimizer again, which if you are using the Bink Machine or any other optimizer will help you understand some of the things that we can be doing to get the most juice out of our builds there. And even if you're not using an optimizer, what we're going to be doing today is starting a player pool and getting a sense of how we first open the optimizer of the week. So that will give us a chance to talk through a lot of the angles that we're seeing. It's Friday as we as we record this. So some of the angles we're seeing deeper into the week and give you a sense of how we see this slate shaping up. So with that, let's get started. One week season. Keegan, I managed to play the uh, the little intro song without interrupting. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy yesterday. Off to a good start. Um, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm excited to uh, ask some questions that I had from last week and uh, maybe get a better understanding of the this slate along with the big machine. Cool, cool. Yeah, the this is a, a good week to actually do what we're going to do here because – from a macro standpoint, and I won't spend too much time on this because this is kind of what the Angles podcast is for, and I'll be recording that later today. But from a macro standpoint, what I see is the the players, if, if you're watching this, you can see this visual, like the players who are who we would typically rely on for, for confident production, right? Like that's here. And then you've got like the players who are not confident that are down here. But like the ceiling on these confident players isn't that high. Um, and then the the ceiling on these unconfident players, like it could spring up above these other guys. So it's going to be that question of how we balance the, the non-confident plays with the confident plays, because it, I feel like this is a week where if you go all confident plays, like take Jalen Hurts, for example, does he have a good game against Washington? Almost certainly, but Philadelphia has been out to big leads in all three games so far. And this Washington team is a game. They should probably be out in a big lead, against again, which limits that chance of him having like a 35 pointer, 38 pointer. And so if you have kind of all those types of plays across your roster that have these solid scores, but nothing spectacular, the Jalen Hurts, the Christian McCaffrey's, that type of player, well, you're going to have some people in the tournaments that you're in who are taking shots on the guys who have unsafe floors, but end up hitting for big games. Obviously we built a roster yesterday with one of those guys in Justin Fields. Turns out uh, currently he's projected to be one of the highest owned quarterbacks. So not as sneaky as we were really? thinking. And I think it's that thing of like, well, what could happen here, right? Uh, which, by the way, I was digging into that offense more yesterday, watching some film, and it's like they are so lost right now. Uh, last week there were so many plays where they were single-teaming single, single teaming Chris Jones, and he was just wreaking havoc. Like, why not double-team this one guy who's going to wreck your offensive line? Uh, there were so many easy layup throws that Justin Fields wasn't taking as if, like, he's so much in his head right now that he can't just see an easy throw and pull the trigger on it. So, yeah, I mean, I could easily see that that continuing to spiral. But at the same time, there's going to be a week where things click and they start playing well. So, uh, yeah, we got to kind of find that balance of who are the plays that are uncomfortable but have a higher ceiling and could hit. But you don't want a whole roster full of those guys because you, you get maybe three of them right for these monster games, but you get, get the other five guys wrong and they wreck your roster. So, uh, yeah, that'll be an interesting component to this week. Kind of gives us a chance to uh, pull up the Bink machine and let's see, let's get us both on here, pull up the bank machine and kind of look at 
how we might want to start our, our player pool on a week like this. So before we get started, Keegan, um, one of the things that I want to do is I want to run some rosters, which I always like doing just based off of projections, which gives us a chance to see what the, okay, uh, pool must be modified. So what you can always do is you can just take out uh, a couple players that you don't plan on playing, a couple players who have actual projections you don't plan on playing right now. Deshaun Watson may not play this week with his shoulder injury, but we can take him out of the player pool. We can take, uh, let's go ahead and take Lamar Jackson in that same game out of the player pool as well. Now we've modified our pool and that allows the optimizer to run. Uh, build some rosters just so we can see what an optimized roster looks like because that gives us a good sense of what the field is going to be working with from a starting point of how optimizers are going to be building rosters this week. And actually we see something right away here that uh, I spotted in looking at ownership projections last night, which is that Calvin Austin is going to be a popular play this week, just purely as a function of the fact that he's 3,300 and is playing most of the snaps. Josh Downs is going to be a popular play this week. Uh, Pat Fryermuth, there's actually a lot of Steelers that are setting up as popular plays, which has nothing to do with their game environment, nothing to do with their offense. It just has to do with, okay, we're trying to build an optimized roster. We're trying to squeeze in, pay, pay the price tags for Tyree Kill. We're trying to pay the price tags for these other guys. And how do we do that? Well, we have to find some salary savers. So we notice each of these rosters so far, Tyree Kill, Tyree Kill, Tyree Kill, Tyree Kill, Tyree Kill. Uh, and all of them have something down here that, that has been showing up to me in ownership. That's <laughs> like, oh, really? This guy? Uh, Pat Fryermuth in this one on a double tight end build. Kyle Granson in this one on a double tight end build. Kyle Granson seeing some ownership uh, in projections this week. Josh Palmer seeing uh, pretty hefty projection ownership projections. Josh Downs, Josh Downs, Kyle Granson again, Adam Thielen, Calvin Austin. And so this, this can help us see ownership projections is one thing. It's another thing to see why ownership projections are spitting out particular numbers and to recognize, okay, optimizers are kind of building these types of rosters and you have a large chunk of the field that's going to be seeing this as the optimal starting point. Uh, and so that kind of gives us an edge as a first step because we're able to say, where is the more fragile chalk that we can avoid? And what are some of the things that we can do to exploit that? So that's always a sharp starting point with any optimizer is just running the lineups because you can see 50 lineups or how, however many you want to run out there, they kind of give you a starting point of what are the, the optimizer builds going to look like on this week. So uh, that's always my starting point. Uh, any questions there? Any thoughts there, Keegan? Yeah. So uh, last week I didn't, uh, I didn't really do this. I kind of just had like my own uh, player pool before I started and I kind of just tried to go around that, but it was a, it was a bit um, hard starting out. When you scroll up to the top, I had to figure out um, there's like, Two two check boxes. Um, one of them's like uh, JM's. Um, yes. Where's that at? Standard and JM's defaults. Yeah. So I did. Okay. So I did that one. But okay, the other two. The high player. Uh, okay. High players with projects. zero projected points. Yeah. High players with zero max exposure. Yeah. So can you explain both of those just a little bit? Yeah. So this is just <laughs> this is just for like bookkeeping purposes on your end. So if a player has right now if we don't have these checked so we we took well actually let's see what happens when we x out a player when we x out tua he doesn't disappear 
his max exposure exposure just goes from 100 down to zero. We'll put him back at 100. So when we X out Lamar Jackson, we basically said we want our maximum exposure to be 0%. We want him on 0% of our rosters, but he's still showing up in this player pool. Same thing if we scroll down to a guy like Kyle Trask, who won't be starting, won't be playing. So his projected points are zero, but he's still showing up in this player pool. So if we click hide players with, with zero max exposure, hide players with zero projected points, now we just have the players who are still in our player pool. Uh, the optimizer will not build. The optimizer is designed to optimize your projected points, basically. So it will not build a roster with somebody who's projected for zero points. Okay. And it's designed to follow your rules. It will not build a roster with somebody you put uh, 0% max exposure on. So clicking these is really just to clean up your view and make things a little bit easier on you, which if you're doing what I do and what most OWS members will probably be doing, which is cultivating your own very specific player pool, uh, it is nice to have these checked because then the guys who are out of your pool, you're no longer seeing them in your view. Okay, awesome. Yeah, that's that was one of the big questions that I had because I didn't know if um, even if you didn't have like any exposure on them, that it could still end up in the uh, the builds. That that was my question. Yeah, so, so it can it, it, it you can every once in a while. I think that it's going to follow like the zero percent rule pretty closely because as long as you have enough players in your pool they can always mix and match things. One of the things that people tend to run into with an optimizer is that you put 20% minimum on a player. Let's say you want at least 20% Patrick Mahomes on a week, or let's say it's this week, you want at least 20% Josh Allen. Uh, but then you want Josh Allen paired with Stefan Diggs on all of those rosters. So now you're really restricting salary, right? And so you could say minimum Josh Allen, and you could set a rule that says, if I'm playing Josh Allen, I have to also play Stefan Diggs. And then the optimizer might actually only give you 12% Josh Allen or 14% Josh Allen, just because it's not able to fit that in with all of your other rules. So that's where this JM's default comes in. So this is, we talked about this last week, but just to cover this again, if we look at standard projections, right, as you would expect, these guys, their projections are kind of like bounce around, right? Like Anthony Richardson, 21.63, which is 2.55x his or 3.23x his salary. Kirk Cousins 20.37, which is 2.87x his salary. If we go over to JM's defaults, we notice that every single player is projected for exactly 4x their salary. So again, we talked about this in last week's video. If you missed that one, that's a good one to watch. It's linked at the top of the Bink Machine uh, page on the site. In fact, it's linked. You can see it. Here's some admin stuff, but uh, it's linked right up here. So the uh, switching everybody to 4X projections, it basically fools the optimizer because the optimizer's job is yes, to follow your rules, but the main thing it's trying to do is optimize the ceiling of your rosters based on projected points. So if, if the optimizer has these strict ownership rules that you're giving it, but then it's like, okay, like it's more important to maximize projected points than to follow these rules specifically. So we have some leeway on, on the percentages and we're trying to maximize points. So if you want to get really specific on your ownership ranges, which is something I like to do, you can switch over to those JM's presets because it basically fools the optimizer into saying, all these guys are projected the same, right? This 5K quarterback is projected for 20 points. This 8K quarterback is projected for 32 points. So in terms of how we're maximizing the salary spent, it's the same across the board. And so it has to really follow your 
uh, prescribed ownership, which is just kind of a cool way to bend the optimizer uh, to your will, so to speak, and really get the builds that you want. Okay, awesome. Um, another question I had was like when you're building this, um, like each quarterback, your your player pool, right? You're adding your player pool and you're figuring out how much exposure you're going to add to each uh, player. When, like, obviously, so you said the quarterback has 100%. Um, you said right receiver has like 400%, and then running back has like uh, two or 300%, right? Player uh, exposure. Yeah. So basically, there's one quarterback spot. So your quarterback exposure has to be 100%. Okay. And when, so when you have that 100, and then you can go over the max, right? You can go like 100 and like 50 or something on the max. Yeah. 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 The min, the minimum can't go over 100. And what I try to do is I try to keep the minimum at about 90 and the maximum at about 110, which just gives it some wiggle room in there um, because it's going like your quarterback exposures are going to add up to 100%, right? Like across your rosters, 100% of your rosters will have one quarterback on them. And so obviously taking Taysom Hill out of the um, equation, who's not listed as a quarterback, but 100% of your rosters will have one quarterback on them. So your quarterback exposures on your actual rosters, if, if you hand built hundred rosters, you would have 100 quarterbacks is a good way to look at it. Right? So if you hand built 100 rosters, you would have 100 quarterbacks, which is 100%. So you have to give that the optimizer needs to have at least 100%. If you have a max quarterback pool that only adds up to like 80%, that's not going to make sense to the optimizer. Cause it's like, Hey, we need a quarterback on every roster. So the max has to be over 100 the min has to be under or at 100 or below. I give it below just to give it that wiggle room. Um, where things get a little more complicated is at the positions that spill over into the flex because there's 600 total percent. And this is, again, this is if you're really getting uh, down and dirty with your per, like player percentages in your player pool, which I like to do, but you don't necessarily have to do that. But the there's there's two running back spots three wide receiver spots, a tight end spot. I actually said that wrong. So seven, it has to be 700% total because there's two running back spots, three wide receiver spots, one tight end spot. So that's six spots right there. So that means 600 spots on your 100 rosters will be filled up with running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends. You following me so far on that? Yeah. Um, and then there's also the flex spot, which is another 100 roster spot. So in total, you're going to have 700 running backs, wide receivers and tight ends across your 100 rosters. Or if you're doing 10 rosters, you're going to have 70 total running backs, wide receivers and tight ends. And then you can kind of mix and match how you want to use that flex spot. So if you build 10 rosters, let's make the math easier than 100. If you build 10 rosters, how many running backs do you have to have? I don't want to put you on the spot with like a word problem, but like across 10 rosters, how many running backs are you required to have? Uh, 20. Yeah. So you've got to have at least two running backs in every roster. You have to have at least 20 running backs. So you have to have at least 200% running backs. How many wide receivers are you going to have like required to have across those 10 rosters? 30. 30. Yeah. So you have to have at least 300% wide receiver. And the same thing with tight end, you have to have at least 100% tight end because you got to fill out that tight end spot. So that's basically how the, the, the pool percentages work at those positions is like, and that's an easy way to think of it is just think of that word problem. All right. If I'm building 10 rosters, 
how many running backs do I have to have? I have to have 20. I have to have 200% running backs. Uh, I have to have 300% wide receivers, 30 wide receivers. I have to have 100% tight ends. But then you also have that flex spot to work with. So you could go 220% running backs, 340% wide receivers, and 140% tight ends. If you want 40% of your rosters to have tight end in the flex spot, right? Um, so that flex spot is where you have that flexibility. So quarterback and defense are easy. Those are just 100%, right? And again, I, I line those up. I give the optimizer some flexibility. I line it up so it's like a 90 to 110% range. Um, or, well, I don't want to get too deep in that, but we'll, we'll put a pin in, come back to what I do with defense. But um, yeah, yeah, jump in. Um, so basically like how, okay, so I get stuck at this part because like, right, I understand now, well, I, I understood last week as well, but just not as much as I do now. Um, there's 100%, right, of everything, uh, 300, 200, right? When you start with your player pool and you have your player pool before you even, like, get on the optimizer, you, like, write it down in your notes on a, on a piece of paper, whatever, right? You have it in your head what you want. Do you – is the process that you use, do you, do you grab, like, say you have um, five quarterbacks that you really are onto this week. Do you grab those five quarterbacks and do like a hundred divided by five and you have uh 20% of each quarterback. And then like you, you don't enter that in, but then you kind of just do the math right there and you're like, okay, well I like this one more than this one. So I'm going to put him to 25%. I'm going to bring this guy to 15. And then you're like, well, I like this one more than this one. But then at one point you're like, well, this one's 10%. So it starts to get really complicated, right? Because you're like, well, this one's 10%. Then I'm going to make that one 15%. And I, like, where do you, like tend to divvy out the percentages like how do you do yeah that? yeah 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 that's actually a, a great question i think that the the process for that's going to be different for each person and so again we could you know we could run let's look at the the bank machine again and we could just like cut down our player pool i don't want to mess with this this will be my like what i'll be using as well but like we could just cut down the player pool uh take out some guys that we don't want this week and then we could run the optimizer and like build, build using the bink machine, build using an optimizer in the way that most people use it. So I want to start with that before we kind of get to your question. And the way to do that would be, and, and I'm sure we'll have some videos where we dive deeper into how to do that. But what I would do is I would kind of build some rosters, keep seeing what it's spitting out and then seeing players that I don't want or seeing setups that I don't want. Like we've got, uh, Kirk Cousins attached to Jordan Addison. And so we would want to look and see like how many of our Kirk Cousins rosters, here's Kirk Cousins uh, with KJ Osborne and Justin Jefferson. So you start kind of finding things that you like or don't like rules that you want to put in place. And then you start putting in the player rules and the, the builds start looking more and more like what you want them to look like. Right. So that's like kind of the standard way to do it. What we're talking about is I want to build 50 rosters, hundred rosters that look the way that my hand built rosters would look and that have very specific ownership ranges on these players, which is how I like to use the optimizer. And I think a lot of OWS users, because most of us are longtime hand builders, we want a lot of control over our, our rosters and our roster pool. So if you're taking things from that approach, yeah, I always start at the quarterback position. It's the easiest one to get my percentages down on because we know it's just going to get up to 100%. And usually that pool is going to be like four to eight quarterbacks. So that's where I like to start. And that also the quarterback position is going to dictate what happens in a lot of your other positions, because like, let's take this week, for example, if, if Stefan Diggs is hitting Josh Allen's almost certainly hitting as well. So I don't want 
a bunch of digs away from Josh Allen rosters. So if Josh Allen's in 15% of my rosters, I'm probably not going to have more than 15% Stefan Diggs. You get what I'm saying? So it's like yeah. the quarterback decisions start to dictate your wide receiver ownership percentages. And so you can really start to get a feel of what your wide receiver pool looks like as you start and your tight end pool looks like as you start to build out your quarterback pool. So I always start at the quarterback pool. There's a couple ways you could do it. So I really like what you said about just starting out, like dividing it by however many quarterbacks you have, you know, you got five quarterbacks, you go 20% of each, and then you start like moving the percentages around that obviously works better at quarterback than at wide receiver where you might have 30 wide receivers in your pool. And so you don't necessarily want to have like all of them starting at the same ownership. And then you're constantly making decisions of like, okay, moving this guy up by 5%. So where do I want to take away the other percentages? But at quarterback, I think that's a really cool way to do it because it gives you a good visual of, okay, I'm starting out with, let's say it's this week and I'm starting out with Josh Allen. I'm starting out with Jalen Hurts. I'm starting out with Justin Fields. Uh, I'm starting out with CJ Stroud and I'm starting out with Russell Wilson. Okay. So let's say we have those, those five quarterbacks. So we've got kind of the top two guys, Allen and Hurts. We've got the two guys playing against each other in Fields and Russ. And then we've got CJ Stroud as our cheap guy who could potentially put up 25 points. So we start out with, with 20% to each, right? And then you could say, all right, like I like Jalen Hurts, but am I embracing too much safety on that play? Can he really, really win me a tournament? And so maybe we bump him down to 14%. And then we're like, okay, you've got an extra 6% to work with. Let's add it to some of these other guys, right? We can do it that way. And, or you could just do it like you kind of know. So let, let me use last week as an example for me. Last week, my quarterback pool was uh, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Deshaun Watson, Josh Allen, and Gardner Minshew. I knew that Patrick Mahomes was my highest confidence bet. So I started him at like 35 or 40%, something like that. Uh, I knew that I wanted a decent amount of Deshaun Watson. I started him at like 16%. Uh, I knew that I wanted a lot of Justin Herbert. I started him at around 20%. Um, and I knew that Josh Allen, I, I knew Gardner Minshew was just like a, hey, this guy could have a big game, but he probably won't. I just want him in large field play, had him at 4%. And then Josh Allen at 8% saying he's less of a strong play than Herbert. He's less of a strong play than Mahomes, but he could hit for a big game. He could be the top quarterback on the slate. And so I want to build some rosters around that scenario. And then it didn't add up to a full 100%. So you kind of start pushing it around and you're like, okay, I'm at like whatever I was at 80 something percent. So then you're like, all right, where do I want to bump this up? And with Gardner Minshew, I'm building 150 rosters, right? So 4% is six rosters. So it's like, do I want more than six rosters of Gardner Minshew? People aren't going to be on him. And if he hits, I'm going to be building around him in the ways that he's likeliest to hit. Like that, like that's all I really want. I don't want a bunch of Gardner Minshew rosters taking away ownership from these other guys. So I stay there. Uh, didn't want more Josh Allen. So then you're like, okay, it's these other three guys, right? So uh, I think it was Deshaun Watson ended up getting bumped up to 20. Herbert got bumped up to 24. Mahomes got bumped up to, up to 44. And then I'm always asking myself, uh, which, which really applies at like the running back and wide receiver position, but like asking myself, do I feel, do I feel like on a guy that I'm a little bit scared to play, I want to push that ownership up to a point where it makes me a little bit uncomfortable as in like, uh, like last week, I didn't, I only ended up with Mostert on 8% of my rosters. And that was because I made the dumb move of putting a bunch of Kyron Williams and like took away ownership from these other guys. 
But earlier in the week, like when we did our, our video last week, I had Mostert at like 14 or 16%. And he was one of those guys that it was like, he could have a big game. He could have a nothing game. And so I want to have, it's uncomfortable for me to like push up to 24%, 26%. And so I don't want to go to that point where I'm like, bro, if he misses, I'm going to be so annoyed that he's like a quarter of my rosters are getting burned by this guy missing. But also like, he's a little bit uncomfortable for me, but he has that ceiling, right? So it's like, I pushed him up to 12% and then my running back, like ownership still didn't uh, amount to the full 200%. So it's like, all right, he gets another 2%, he gets another 2% and he ends up at like in that 14 to 16% range. And so I'm always trying to kind of balance, like think forward, right? To Sunday night and think, could this guy have a, a tournament winning game? And what's his downside? Like, could he wreck my rosters? And like how, what percentage of my rosters am I willing to have him wreck for the upside that he provides the times that he doesn't wreck the rosters? Um, and so it's kind of like that balancing act in my, in my head of, you know, how willing am I to lose a chunk of rosters on these? And that's why like last week, it was my highest, besides take out Kyron Williams, which was a mistake, but my highest owned players were, uh, and I say mistake just because of what I'm about to say here, like my highest owned players were Justin Jefferson at 44%. What are the chances of him wrecking 44% of my rosters? Like pretty low. Yeah. My highest owned, my other highest owned wide receiver was Mike Williams at 44%. Priced at only 6K in that great game environment opposite Justin Jefferson. Uh, getting a ton of targets, like the chance of him wrecking my rosters, pretty low. Uh, next highest own was Tank Dell at 3,600. And you're like, man, what? Like he has such a big role that even if he bombs, he's going to get like 9, 10, 11, 12 points. What are the chances of him wrecking this 30-something percent of my rosters? Extremely low. Uh, next up was Amari Cooper and Keenan Allen. Same thing. Like obviously there was some risk with the way Deshaun Watson looked, but we talked a lot about that matchup against Tennessee last week and the volume is going to be there for Amari so what are the chances of these guys, Keenan and, and Amari, at their price tags wrecking my roster is pretty low. My next highest on wide receiver was Adam Thielen, only 3,900. We knew that he was going to get targets. We knew that uh, Seattle forces targets to the inside. And so like, that's kind of where my ownership is going to line up, right? And then running back was less confident across the board last week. So I had 44% Tony Pollard. My next highest own, if we take out Kyron Williams, was Kenneth Walker at uh, 26%. And the thought with Kenneth Walker was, okay, he, he is overpriced for his typical range of production. People don't, most people don't realize that. He's only, last week was only his third time in his career that he's gone over 20 DraftKings points. But he's always getting like 15, 16, 17 DraftKings points. You know, so you're like, okay, this guy's capable of going over 30. Like last week, Alexander Madison was capable of going over 30. Mostert was capable of going over 30. Josh Kelly was capable of going over 30. But all of those guys also could have had like eight points, you know? So it was like, okay, Kenneth Walker can go over 30. And if he misses, he's probably still getting 16, 17 points. So he was on 26% of my roster. So that's kind of how I balance, like who are the higher owned guys is the guys who I don't want. I don't want a Kyron Williams situation where I'm putting together a bunch of guesswork and like Kyron Williams could have had 16 carries and two touchdowns and had a big game. But like there was so much guesswork involved in that. That's not typically what I want half my roster is getting wrecked by. So my ownership percentages kind of get dictated by what, and this is, and anybody can handle this differently, right? But this is like how I handle it to maximize my chances of as many rosters as possible being able to win. And I like, you look at last week, right? If you're mixing and matching, so like such a high percentage of Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, 
Keenan Allen, Amari Cooper, Adam Thielen, Tank Dell, Justin Jefferson, like all these guys who hit last week. And then you've got 8% Raheem Mostert and 26% Kenneth Walker. Like you're giving yourself a shot at Mostert and Walker being on the same roster as four wide receivers who go for 30 plus points. Um, and so it's like, you know, and not every week is the, is those, are those high confidence bets all going to go for such high scores, but that's kind of what I'm always angling toward is let me put as many rosters in play as possible that have like a high confidence base. And then some weeks, like there was a week last year where I had a big weekend and Taekwon Thornton had like 25 points at three K and like sub 1% ownership. And he was only on like two or 3% of my rosters, but because the rest of my base was so strong, like he landed on rosters that had all the other pieces lined up in place as well. So, you know, you want to be taking so far since in like the 11 weeks I've done MME very first week I ever did it. I missed Joe Mixon put up over 50 points. And that was like my first week doing MME last week was the only, the second time I've had a player who had a big game and wasn't in my pool. And that was like a relative big game. It was Sam Laporta and he had been in my pool earlier in the week. And then deeper into the week, it was like, man, he's catching his passes four or five yards downfield. He probably can't hit a big game. And it wasn't like that would have buried me on the weekend, you know? So it's like, I'm going to have exposure to the guys almost every week who have the big games, but then I want my core pool to be the higher confidence guys who can have a big game because that allows the math to work in my favor where you're mixing and matching all these kind of higher confidence pieces. So when those lower confidence pieces hit, they end up on, on rosters that are right across the board, right? Instead of just like, you've got six lower confidence pieces and, and hope they all line up, which is like mathematically improbable compared to getting a bunch of high confidence pieces with one or two lower confidence, um, high upside pieces. So yeah, that was a lot, but I think that that's probably valuable in terms of how I piece together my pool and how I think through that to maximize the chances of, of having rosters that finish um, in, in first place. Or, you know, I've said it like, I think nine, uh, 11 weeks in the slant, I think I've only had two weeks without a roster in the top 100 out of 26,000 entries, right? So it's like, almost every week I have rosters that are live that are up there near the top that have a shot at a big payout because you're trying to mix and match your pool in this way that you're not just creating dead rosters um, or like a, a large chunk of dead rosters. Okay. Awesome. I mean, so I like that a lot. I, at first, you know, it, it sounded. Um, so the way I like interpreted it at first was you're kind of playing chalkier players at a high percent, but in reality, it's not, necessarily like that because it's your own player pool and you're deciding like obviously some players are gonna be more safe than others but you're taking less risk but at the same time like increasing your ceiling yes yes and and to me a lot of times i don't look at ownership until saturday night or or sunday morning or even at all uh this week i looked just because i was so curious where the field was going to be going on a week that is to me, very bunched up, right? Like I said, the, the higher confidence plays have fewer paths to had to have at scores and the lower confidence plays could ascend above them. So it was like, how are people seeing this week? I want to, I want to know that, but like take two weeks ago, tank Dell at 3,200 or 3,300, whatever he was that first week, you know, he was on 30 plus percent of my rosters might've even been over 40% of my rosters. And he was like, you know, four or 5% owned that week. So I'm not averse to taking a low owned piece on a huge chunk of my rosters. I'm just taking high confidence pieces, you know? And so on a week like this, where some of the chalk might be 
um, Joe Mixon against Tennessee. I don't know if people keep going back to the well against that Tennessee defense or Pat Fryermuth or like guys who don't stand out to me in the research. They're not to say that Pat Fryermuth can't have a two touchdown game, right? But just saying like the guys who don't stand out to me in the research, they might be chalk and, and I'm going to just be underweight on them because my starting point is like, I want to build the sharpest player pool mixing in like a high percentage of high confidence plays with ceiling um, and then recognizing, and then going through the site and being like, okay, and who are the other guys on this week in this game environment who could be the guys that like bury me for not having had them. Right. And then this guy's going to be on 4%. This guy's going to be on 8%. This guy's going to be on 2%. Um, But yeah, it's like, it's the high confidence plays are the, are the bedrock for me. And a lot of times those are high owned plays because the DFS industry is sharp as a whole. But a lot of times, some of these guys are going to go overlooked as well. You know, we can look at how chalk is formed. Chalk is formed through projection systems. That's which, what I was going to ask you, actually. I was very curious about that. Okay, so, so this is a good discussion then. Chalk is formed in two primary ways. Uh, one, through projection systems, which are, um, you know, people are primarily going to be using ETR or the Blitz or Roto-Grinders but all these projections kind of spit out like similar numbers. Um, we use EV analytics, which actually powers the blitz. So if you're using uh, OWS projections, you're kind of getting basically the same projections as the blitz. You're going to see like, what are the projections that the field is looking at? So projections are a big part of that, but I've, I've had uh, multiple different projection systems ask me over the years, I had one ask me again this year, if I have time on Saturdays to consult with them about some of the spot, like some of their blind spots, right? Because there are things that a projection system can't account for. So Tank Dell isn't going to be popping in a projection system in like his first career start in week two, but I can see that he's a high confidence play. So there's going to be plays that projection systems just miss based on changes in personnel, based on injuries, based on matchups. So projection systems do a good job, but they'll never be able to do uh, a first rate job. Simulations can never do a first rate job just because there's so much they can't account for in in like the little nuanced stuff with coaching, with matchups and with player deployment, especially when there's been injuries or or changing the way players are being deployed. Uh, The other main way that chalk is formed is frankly, it's through ETR, which is Levitan and Silva. And their site has become, it's funny because uh, season one of OWS, it was uh, Silva did preseason content for us. And then Levitan and I had our weekly podcast and then the rest of the site was just me. And then a year later they launched ETR and obviously Silva's got a, a massive platform. Adam's grown his platform huge. And so that site is such a central place for the DFS space. And I know so many people who subscribe to ETR specifically to know what information the field is getting, like to have a sense of like what the chalk is going to look like and how robust that chalk is going to be. And so Evan is, you know, he's one of the, and so Keegan, you kind of got into the DFS world after ETR launched, but Evan used to be with NBC Roto World and kind of grew that brand to what it is today. And he has, I don't know, 300, 400,000 Twitter followers, maybe less than that, maybe more than that at this point. But uh, Evan is like, excellent at understanding the the teams the players the matchups and so for season-long fantasy he's a big name and is very sharp on like who's playing and and on offense defense on the offensive line on the defensive line what the rotations look like all that so um because of that there's a lot of people who pay attention to, to evan and then adam is 
tremendous in terms of like personality and brand building and then also extremely sharp in all areas of of uh you know prop betting and dfs and all that but but adam's primarily a cash game player he plays tournaments but like what he's so sharp at is knowing who the sharpest like safest plays are on the slate what's interesting about that is that chalk gets formed then through in part through etr and that comes from Evan's understanding of like how players are deployed and Adam's understanding of what's best for head-to-heads and double-ups, right? As in like what's least likely to fail. But in tournaments, what wins you tournaments isn't necessarily what's least likely to fail. It's what has the highest ceiling. In projections, projections are median projections. So again, projections are what's, what's likely to happen, who projects best in terms of their median outcome. But that's not what we're looking for in tournaments. We're looking for who can pop off for what we call had to have it games. So that's one of the things I love about NFL DFS is that the two main places that chalk is formed are very focused on what are the safest plays, right? What are the plays that are least likely to, you know, if you're playing a 50-50 tournament with 10,000 entries and you just have to finish in the top 5,000, well, all the, like your main goal, you don't care about finishing first place. Your main goal is just making sure you don't have the guys who wreck your roster. And so chalk is kind of formed through the lens of the guys who won't wreck your roster uh, or the guys like Calvin Austin. It's like, well, he's getting six targets most games and he's going to be on the field almost every snap and he's 3,300. And so that's true. So he's a solid cash game play head-to-heads, double-ups, he's a solid player who's probably not going to wreck your roster because he's only 3,300 and he frees up the salary to get these other guys. But in terms of what's going to win you a tournament, you know, Calvin Austin is maybe a bad example because he can he can score from anywhere on the field. But in terms of what's going to win you a tournament, a lot of times, it, like Josh Downs, right? Josh Downs isn't going to top 40 receiving yards most games. And with Anthony Richardson back under center, he's probably not, probably not getting more than six or seven targets. So is he going to win you a tournament? Probably not, right? And so... That's one of the cool things too, is recognizing, okay, here's chalk because these guys are safe or here's more fragile chalk, but it's just like the best projected way to build a roster. And so we can, we can maneuver around that and find ways to get to the tops of the leaderboards by taking on these higher upside plays. Okay, sweet. Yeah. I had no idea, no idea how chalk was like formed. So that's a really um, insightful uh, thing you said. Yeah. And obviously, obviously like uh, there's tons of content providers, right. But a lot of the content providers in the space are also, they're playing all the DFS sports, right. So they're not like necessarily grinding NFL research day in and day out. And all of them listen, you know, all of them look at projections. Most of them listen to to Adam and read Evan stuff. So like, that's also like that seeps into a lot of other content provider sites, thoughts, opinions as well. And so, yeah, it just kind of spreads across the board. And then obviously like, optimizers taking projections and building rosters as we see right here of like, okay, here's, here's what we have. And this is kind of, I, I like this um, Friday recorded released on Friday night or Saturday show, because it's kind of becoming a um, like today we have the optimizer open, but it's also more of just like um, understanding DFS and maximizing our edge um, type of show, right. Where we're not necessarily roster building, but we're able to talk about some of the things that help us, to make money uh, week in and week out or make like position ourselves to make most money over time. So yeah, I think this is a cool discussion today. Yeah. I I really like it as well. It's again, super insightful for me. Um, Anybody who doesn't know, I am quite new to this. So uh, anything 
that JM says really is helpful to me and probably a lot of you guys. So, yeah. Yeah. There's just so much like industry stuff that, that every little edge matters so much, right? Like so often the difference between a, a good weekend and a, and a disappointing weekend is like one player or like one move or one little edge that you find. And so all of these little pieces of knowledge, they add up to kind of keep building that foundation of edge and, and increasing your ROI over time. Yeah. And, and it's crazy you say that because like we talked about um, a little bit after the show, I did a uh, best ball and the difference between me and first place on that, um, the battle best royale. Ball, yeah. The battle royale was 15 points and um, 15 points is like, it was, so I had um, Patrick Mahomes and uh, Michael Pittman and first place had um, Jalen or no, Justin Herbert. He had Justin Herbert and, um, he had one other receiver, I think, that did really well. Actually, no, he had Ken Walker and, uh, oh, nice. Nice. and Raheem Mostert. <laughs> I think like the top 100 people had Raheem Mostert. But um, yeah, just saying like 15 points is all it takes to get first place like compared to where I was. I was like 600th. So. Yeah, yeah. And it's like those two, those two <laughs> players swapped out a different way. And, um, and that's also why one of the things I like about MME is, and we've talked about this, is that the like I do my MME for I said this on the winter circle podcast the other day but like my MME play is very much for my single entry three max play right my MME play is about 20 percent of my bankroll allocation on the week the other 80 percent is all single entry three max and anytime I make money in MME like I've had a couple big weekends in MME and it's like oh man that's cool but I just consider that bonus money, right? Like the MME stuff, I'm doing it to make my single entry and three max play as sharp as it can possibly be. Because again, you can have all these rosters, you can look through them and you can, you know, shop for the rosters that look best to you. And um, I had a, if you're an inner circle member, uh, Keegan, I don't know if you've listened to this, but there's a, uh, in fact, let me show you how to find this. If you're, if you are, cause I think we're kind of done with the, um, with the opto right now, but the- Well, I actually have like one more question. Okay, cool, we'll go back to it then. The, um, if you go to this page, if you're not an Inner Circle member, you'll you'll have this uh, paywall blocker. But if you are an Inner Circle member, you'll find a link to uh, the Inner Circle podcast feed. And you can just click that link and like add the Inner Circle podcast feed to your podcast player, same as you would any other podcast on, on Apple Podcasts or wherever else. But every Wednesday I have a podcast called uh, winner circle that is a sort of macro DFS strategy theory podcast. And this week I talked about how I shop through my rosters and like what I'm looking for in the rosters that I'm going to use in single entry three max. And I think it was a really valuable, a really valuable sort of lesson in conjunction with this optimizer stuff of like, okay, how, what are we looking for when we're looking for those rosters that stand out to us from our optimizer builds. Because again, as I said, like my, my ROI in single entry three max has gone through the roof since I started playing MME because I have all these rosters to shop through and I can find, okay, here's my sharpest rosters on the week and then put those into single entry three max. And a lot of times find rosters. It's like, oh, this is what I was trying to build throughout the week. This is what I wanted my practice builds to look like. I just couldn't get it to come together. And so it's like you find these rosters that or every once in a while, it's like, okay, this is almost what I've been trying to build. Let me change one or two players. 
um, to get it to look exactly the way I wanted it to look. But yeah, it's just such a valuable tool for single entry three max is leveraging uh, an optimizer and getting all these rosters, that, sharp rosters that you can look through. Uh, so yeah, that, that Winter Circle two, uh, Wednesday podcast from, from this week, uh, super valuable. If you're an Inner Circle member and haven't listened to it yet, Keegan, uh, valuable if you want to add that podcast player and, and listen to that one. But, um, but yeah, it kind of gives a sense of like how we really leverage the optimizer in order to, to get great single entry through max play. Yeah. I, I, that actually really like um, affected me last week um, in a, I think a negative way. So I, I tried to use the, the 150 rosters. I also don't think I built them um, correctly, but we can go over that in a second. That's like why I don't think I did that. Um, I went through the rosters and I, I think, everybody has a lot of doubt when, when you look at something and you always want it to be better. We, everybody, that's how humans are. We just want to be better. At everything, every moment. And I just look at them. And I'm like, okay, do I want to enter these? These look great, but I can change this and I can change this. And then you have the, the, what if you're like, well, what if I didn't change this? And this could, this could be the one, you know, like it's, it's always like the, the fighting in your head between like right and wrong. Should I change this? Should I not? What is, what do you think the correct, obviously you're probably going to say like it's situational, but um, generally if, if an optimizer builds your lineup and you like it, but you want to change it, should you change it? Or should you, if you're like even considering changing it, should you change it? Yeah. The mental game of DFS is so interesting. And that's why I say that play, you could play DFS for five years, play it, play it seriously, play NFL DFS for five years. And I love the NFL because you have the whole week to process these thoughts and ask these questions and think through everything. You can play NFL DFS for five years, be a losing player and make way more money in your actual life across those five years than you would have without playing DFS. Because if you're playing DFS seriously, it, it puts you inside your mind in a way that other things just don't. Um, and because you have some money at stake, like you tend to take it seriously and it, puts you like solving this puzzle every week and then dealing with all of these, like balancing all these thoughts and questions, it, it is such valuable training. And my ceiling as a human and my economic ceiling across the 10 years of playing DFS has gone way higher than it ever would have gone without DFS. And it's one of the coolest things about DFS in my mind is like DFS is not just about what money you make in DFS. It's about what you learn from DFS. So in terms of that, it's one of the things I've found is the more I, I've had so many rosters, I've had so many stories of, of rosters I changed and they lost money. And typically it's because I changed it out of fear. So I, you know, I had the story week one of this year that I would have made hundred K if I'd left Puka Nakua. Ooh, I mean, granted Puka Nakua was 0.2% owned and I was like one of the only people who knew he existed and, but if I'd left Puka Nakua on that rot, it was like flipping through, shopping through my roster. It was like, whoa, this one pops. This one is fire. And, and then I was like, okay, but I can't put Puka Nakua on there. Let me change it. If I hadn't done that, it was hundred K. I made the change. It was three K. Had that in an MLB slate one time where like literally driving to, and it was first slate off of the all-star break. So I had three extra days to prepare for the slate. And I was like, you know what, if I take th all three days to prepare for this slate and most people are just waiting for their normal process, I was like, I bet I can build a much better roster than everyone else and built my roster, set it, was on the way to a wedding and 
pulled my phone back out of my pocket was like, all right, I got to change this because there was a couple of things on it that made me uncomfortable. Uh, made 3K, would have made 100K. Uh, had a live final I was at one time where working through the night and then I was like laying down trying to fall asleep. As I was trying to fall asleep, kind of in that in-between theta state, my mind, like some, some thoughts popped in. I'm like, here's a way to build this roster. I was like, whoa, that's pretty dope. Popped back up, built the roster, went back to sleep. That afternoon, I was like, all right, I got to change that roster. It's too risky. Would have finished like third place in that live final for, I don't know what it was, a couple hundred thousand, right? So like those fear-based changes are one of the things you always want to look for. It's so often your like safer feeling or more conservative rosters are going to finish outside of the money anyway. And if you finish barely outside the money or finish in last place, it doesn't matter. You're not finishing in the money. And so it's, it's like... And one of the most interesting things to me about DFS is wins tend to generate wins. If you have a winning weekend, you can go like six weeks without finishing in profit. And you have a profitable week. Maybe it's barely profitable. And then you go on a run for like three straight weeks of really sharp rosters because you kind of have that willingness to embrace the fear a little bit more and put those rosters in that you're like, oh man, this one could hit though. Um, and so if I'm if I'm scared to not play a player. If it's like, man, everybody's playing this guy and he could have a big game. Those are typically the rosters that are going to lose money. And if I'm scared to play a player because like, man, this guy could have a huge game, but what if he misses? Then those are typically the rosters that are going to make money. I've had rosters where I changed, you know, Justin Fields 5,500 week last year. I, I changed <clears throat> a roster I found, changed two pieces on it. And it was a better roster than the one that I would have used, right? Like there are times to change it, but it's like, why are you changing it? Are you changing it? Cause you're like, Oh, I can see a clear, better way to build this. Or is it because you're like, oh, I'm a little bit scared to put this roster in play. That's that's it for this week. Thank you guys. Uh, have a great uh, Sunday and see you next week. See you at the top of the leaderboards. Thanks. OWS. Thanks.